0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. Today we have a really great episode. Uh, Backend developer Michael Kimball joined us to talk about the Java programming language, why it's still an enterprise darling, and how you can get started learning Java. But before we get started, just a quick note. If you're enjoying the podcast and you'd like to help support us, there's a few ways you could really help us out. Drop a review on iTunes, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and just in general, spread the word about the show to all your friends and colleagues. We're also on Twitter, at TechJRPodcast. Follow us to keep up with latest episodes and news about the show, and shoot us a tweet if you'd like to ask a question, or if you have any requests for future episodes. Okay, cadets, that's enough for me. It's time to clear your cash and fasten your safety belts, because we're about to be Oscar Mike with The Code Operative. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Warwick. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie, full stack JavaScript developer as well. <laughs> and we have a special <laughs> guest today. We've got uh, Michael Kimball. If uh, you could introduce yourself, Michael.
1: Hi, Michael Kimball, a Java developer with about five years of industry experience. I also do a YouTube channel called The Code Operative. I don't know if I should keep going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, yeah, Michael has a, uh, a YouTube channel called The Code Operative where he kind of introduces how to get into Java development and how to get started, what IDE to use, um, all that good stuff. Obviously, very passionate about Java development, which is why we wanted to have him on the show because, you know, Eddie and I have no idea about Java. So, my only experience with Java is I got into it um, in my intro to CS course in college about uh gosh like over 10 years ago and i hated it um they taught us how to make triangles in the command line and that was about it um eddie do you have any experience with java a little bit i started
2: learning it for work um i got like 17 percent through a 45 hour course that i bought on udemy a 45 Uh, hour course yeah
0: (laughs) wow who has the time for that i
2: I did watch some of michael's videos i like the video on strings
0: Okay, that was good. so 45-hour uh, course, and they get about 2% through the Java API, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, today's show, we just kind of want to go over um, tips and tricks, how to get started with Java. Obviously, it's um, an in-demand skill still, uh, despite being an old language. And Eddie and I have no experience with it, so we thought, who better to talk about it than somebody who does it every day? So, um, Michael, if you could maybe talk about uh, your experience with Java and how you got into coding and and that sort of thing.
1: Oh yeah, of course. Um, so when I first started in industry, I was, uh, at a company that was experimenting with law enforcement apps doing Android development. Um, but first getting into programming, uh, failed years and years ago, trying to get into PHP. Um, and it was much too complicated for me, but I knew I still wanted to do it. So eventually I went to to school for it and uh, came out the other side somehow. Uh, what, what school did you go to? I went to the University of West Florida in Pensacola. Did you get a
0: computer science degree?
1: I got a software engineering degree, which is a specialization of computer science. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't call myself a computer scientist. <laughs> okay. Did, did they,
0: um, <clears throat> did they teach you Java, uh, while you were getting your degree?
1: Yeah, there were a few Java courses that you had to take. So they went over kind of like the base, uh, Java API, but a lot of the stuff I learned in college wasn't widely applicable to industry. um, I mean, it was definitely a good learning experience. I don't know if I would do it again if I had to start over.
0: Wow, that's uh, interesting. Um, So I had, you know, obviously not a, a great experience with um formal education and computer programming. Uh, like I said, my um, intro to computer science course was kind of a wash. Uh, mm. The instructor wasn't really into it, and we didn't. I felt we didn't actually learn anything useful with Java. We just kind of learned um, rudimentary programming concepts like how to write a loop, how to do recursion, you know how to make a function or a class or something, and never actually built anything. So um, as somebody that went through the whole curriculum came out the other end with a you know specialized software engineering degree, it's it's really interesting to hear you say that you know maybe you wouldn't have even done it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think the main benefit of the degree program is to have a structured place where you learn how to learn. Um, but so you you don't need somebody to teach you that skill. I don't think if you have an interest in programming, then I think you have an interest in learning. So
0: Yeah, definitely. I know, um, when I was in school, the way I got through that course was I would go home and I would pour over a headfirst Java book and it was like Mm. how to build cool stuff, but we weren't doing any of that. So I had to like really (laughs) dig in and get the boring parts out of it and then focus all my time on that. But I was, I was super aggravated at the time that I was self-learning when I was paying all this money to the school, you know, for a a degree. So do you, do you at least feel that, um, your bachelor's degree helped you get um you know maybe interviews or get you hired
1: it certainly made it easier to get a job when you don't have any experience um just because it gets you past a lot of initial screening but i would say it's only useful for probably your first or second job so if you can get one job or two jobs out of the gate after you feel comfortable enough trying to work as a professional developer if you ever feel comfortable sometimes you just have to try and do it but um once you get past that initial hurdle there's like you already have experience so people most of the time don't care about a degree there are certain companies that have like requirements where you have to have a degree to have a job here, and uh, usually you know, it says they... like
0: or or Cleveland experience or, or something to that effect, right?
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And if if they like har- have a hard requirement for a degree, personally, I am not sure that I would want to work there, just because it's an indicator of a lot of bureaucracy, a needless bureaucracy
0: so that's an interesting point yeah so um what made you want to start the code operative
1: uh the code operative is kind of my way of giving some of the knowledge i gained in my years as a professional developer back to the community i know that as a young developer i i had some trouble getting started there's a a drowning sea of informa- informational noise at the beginning. And then you reach a point where it's like, you're in a desert of information. <laughs> so. Yeah, I it, could definitely see that.
0: So. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, that ber- beginner, um, uh, wealth of information is, is, uh, very hard to sift through, uh, especially with development. Um, JavaScript has a problem where it's so popular that there's tons and tons and tons of tutorials on how to get started and what to look at. Uh, Java, maybe being so old, um, you're fighting against, like, what version do I use? And, you know, which JDK? That sort of thing. Um, So kind of a similar problem. But, yeah, once you get that initial hump out of the way of uh, the beginner stuff, it's kind of like, uh, what do I look at now,
1: right? Yeah. You the problem's twofold it's there's an endless sea of stuff that i know exists and i don't know where to go but then you choose where you want to go and it's like uh but how do i do it and nobody's showing that information
0: yeah eddie and i talked about this a little bit how um you know some of the the real value that you get out of you know a uh, maybe a boot camp or finding a mentor or something it's not necessarily the information because that's widely available on, you know on the internet uh, almost said interwebs on the internet <laughs> um, but what you really are getting is the guidance of what to look at what to spend your time on right yeah so um you know having said that why should a junior developer or aspiring uh, developer look at java as opposed to any of the other languages out there
1: uh, Java is a pretty well-established programming language and it's used in a lot of corporate environments. Um, so there's a lot of jobs out there for Java development. Plus you don't have to just do uh, you know, enterprise backend development. It's also the original uh, language for Android development. Um, and there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with Android development. The problem I have or had when starting as a Java developer is like, how do I see what I'm developing? And most of the time it's, oh, just use swing or Java But I mean, I've ran into, I think, two jobs that use Java and no jobs that use swing. And I wouldn't have wanted to work at either of them because they're developing desktop applications, which, in my opinion, is not, you know, a a sustainable career. I feel like everything's moving to the web. So if you're making a desktop app, you're limiting yourself.
0: Yeah, so um, Java itself can be used for a lot of different things. You mentioned uh, Android development, um, so making apps on your phone. You can make de- uh, desktop applications, um, also web servers, right? Yep, web so, servers. Uh, I think, what is it like, Spring and Boot and that sort of thing is what you would get into with web servers?
1: Yeah, so Spring and Spring Boot um, are typically the most widely used. Uh, for, it's the most widely used framework for Java developers when making backend APIs, Um <laughs> because it does a lot of the work for you. It's kind of, when you first get started, it's it's more of a, a black box just because, you know, there's a lot of concepts to learn before you can understand all the things that are going on in the Spring, spring Framework. But learning that stuff will help you really understand what's going on in the back end, and that's translatable across different languages.
0: So um, going along with the web server stuff, um, Spring or Spring Boot is probably similar to, like, Node and Express or, like, maybe Django with Python or, or something to that effect?
1: Uh, yeah, so similar in the sense that it makes the the specific pro- project uh, Spring Web makes it easier to make web servers, um, but Spring itself is mostly a dependency in- injection framework. Like it, it's a very opinionated uh, framework that does a lot of auto configuration for you. So it gives you quote unquote sensible defaults. So when you create like a Spring project, Spring web project with Spring Boot, they bring in like a ton of dependencies and magically make it work. So like if you wanted to make a secured endpoint, you bring in Spring security and it sets up some automatic security for you. Obviously, you would want to configure it because the out-of-the-box security is just like this random password that generates in your logs, but it gives you all the pieces that you need, so you don't have to go out there and look at different library libraries and see how they interact with each other.
0: Cool. So it sounds like it's highly opinionated, Yes. and with that, um, good and bad things. So if you wanted to design your own system or your own server, like, and bring in different, uh, disparate technologies, maybe it wouldn't be the best thing, <clears throat> but, um, with enterprise, uh, it's super good because you can onboard people easily. Spring projects probably all look the same, uh, followed, like the same established best practices. Um, and then provide like a lot of, um, I guess, uh, boilerplate or bootstrapped code for you that you can kind of get up and running quickly. Is, is that about right?
1: Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, But it's opinionated without being forceful. So the ability to override anything that it gives you is something that the developers who made it had in mind when they made it. So I wouldn't say that it's limiting, just that changing the defaults is going to be time-consuming, no matter what, because it's time-consuming to get everything to work together when you're creating a backend. Yeah,
0: before you mentioned um, dependency injection, do you maybe want to take a crack at explaining that for our listeners?
1: Uh, Sure. It's basically, say you have a class that needs something. A lot of the time, you can just be in the class and be like, I need a foo. So in the class, I'm going to say foo equals, my my foo equals new foo. Okay. So now you have your class and you've created inside. But now those, the class that you just made and, and foo are coupled together because you've created it inside of the class. With dependency injection, you just go into the constructor and you say, Uh, when you create this class, make sure there's a foo. So, outside of the class, you can then create it and shove it inside your new class. And the reason that's important is because if that was an interface, something that's just like, you know, it, it has the method do something. You have some class and it has the method do something. And you have another class that also has the method do something. But they do different things. If they have the same interface, you can pass either one into the class. The benefit being you can change the implementation of what you're doing inside that class without having to change that class. So (sighs) it's a fairly convoluted concept to say you, instead of making something inside, you just ask for it and it's given. So with Spring Boot, you can just be like, give it this one annotation at Autowire and Spring Boot will look through all your code and automatically generate that and give it to your class. Cool. So um
0: maybe the way that I would think about this in frontend land would be if you had, let's say, a React application and you were doing API calls. So most people probably are using Axios or something similar. Um, so with dependency injection, uh, from my point of view, you probably wouldn't want to sprinkle in your API calls throughout all your components and like bring in Axios. You might want to have like a utility file that is off to the side that actually brings in Axios and exposes methods to get whatever junk that you need. So if you're making like a movie app, you may have like a get movies method. And that method internally is calling Axios and saying like, hey, Axios, go get the movies from this URL or whatever. Now, if the day comes where you're like, well, you know, we can't use Axios anymore. There's a new hotness around like Axios that's way better than <laughs> Axios. And we want to use that. If you had done the first strategy and sprinkled Axios all throughout your components, it's going to be really hard to update and to swap out that dependency. Whereas if you have it in that central location and you swap it out none of your components care that that dependency has changed because they're just calling that utility method and internally you know it's whatever it uses it's kind of black boxed and it's off to you know its own um its own scope or whatever so um i think that that's a really good uh thing to know about and definitely would be an interview question i think i've been asked it uh, and totally flopped it <laughs> at the time. Um, so it's really cool that uh, Spring makes that pretty easy to do. Um, as far as the other things that Java is good for, uh, it sounds like web servers are like a really good thing to get up to speed on. How do you feel about learning how to build like desktop applications or maybe Android applications with Java for a a, a junior developer?
1: I would say... Android applications, yes. Uh, desktop applications, I would be hesitant about just because, I, in my opinion, the the future of desktop applications is very limited. Um, so, obviously, Android is going through some shift uh, because Oracle is. Not being great about their Java stuff. Um, and now Android is supporting Kotlin. Uh, but Kotlin is kind of an, a syntactic extension of Java. Um, it's basically what Java would be if it was more like JavaScript. So learning Java to do Android development is not going to hinder you just because the transition to something different, if that ever happens, uh, would not be difficult. And there's a lot of literature out there about how to do Java development for Android because it's the original language.
0: Okay. Um. So you mentioned
1: Kotlin. Yeah, I, was uh, ask I hear a lot do. of like,
2: I was just gonna ask, are they shifting completely
0: over to Kotlin or they're still doing both?
1: It's it's still both. Okay. It supports both.
0: Um, there's a lot of buzz and kind of excitement about Kotlin. Um and I what I hear a lot is, oh, any place that you can do Java, you can do Kotlin or something to that effect. Would you maybe recommend people ditch Java entirely and just do Kotlin? Or is that even a is that a thing or what, what do you think?
1: Uh yeah, I would say that it's definitely moving towards that, um, but if you're doing, if you want to do more web server side enterprise development, then um, it's going to be harder to find a job that's Kotlin. Uh, and if you only if you learn Kotlin first, it's going to be harder for you to learn Java, just because you'll feel like you're regressing a little bit.
2: Uh, okay what would the uh i guess the roadmap would be if someone wanted to get into java like because i know there are different versions like what version should they start with and um i
1: was yeah yeah. i would say the most commonly used version is java 8 um but if you want to get started right now learning the latest is probably the best thing to do um so Java twelve. Okay. So what about um
0: the JDK? So I know there's uh what Open JDK and then like the the Oracle JDK. Can you maybe explain what's going on with that?
1: So so the Oracle JDK is the officially supported JDK uh, that's maintained by Oracle, who bought out Sun Microsystems, so they own the rights to the Java API, Um, So, which is kind of what they're suing Google for. Google made some changes to their API, expanded it, and they're mad about it because they're making a (laughs) lot of money. Um, But... Oracle JDK is just a specific implementation of the Java API. So like when you do string, some object.toString, right? That's part of the Java API saying uh, objects will have a method called toString, and it will return a string implementation of that object. Uh, And then OpenJDK is... an open source version, uh, open source implementation of that API. So uh, it's free and it's not going to get you sued if you use it most likely. (laughs) Um, But the the Oracle JDK, since it's maintained and like the longest running JDK uh, by Oracle, has the most recent like security updates open jdk used to be maintained by oracle um but i believe they passed that responsibility on to another company who it slips my mind right now
0: so which one you know would the beginner maybe want to work with
1: uh, honestly there's not really much difference in which one you you work with um because the API is the same. But I would say OpenJDK is probably the the one you would want to use.
0: Okay. Um so OpenJDK, I guess is that something you have to like download and install?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> um depending on what kind of system you use. If you use like a Linux kernel-based system like Mac or any li- Linux distribution, then you can just use your package manager, point it to some distribution of Open JDK, and say, hey, magically install this for me. Um, for the rest of us uh, Windows plebs, we have to go out <laughs> into the Wide Web and uh, search for... <clears throat> how to install OpenJDK.
0: Okay, cool. Um, are you able to use, like, VS Code or, uh, I don't know, Sublime or Atom or whatever a good question. to do Java development, or do you have to, like, go get a special magical
1: Java IDE? Well, you can do Java development in Notepad if you want. But <laughs> I actually did to... that in college. It was miserable, <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't do that. It's terrible. Um <laughs> i would say using a java specific ide particularly intellij is probably the best solution when starting out and more than starting out just as a daily process just because there's so much tooling and uh helpful plugins and all that stuff inside of the ide that without using it you're really limiting yourself um, it has built in like debugging and IntelliSense to be able to auto complete all the stuff that you needed to do. And the Java API is massive and nobody wants to memorize how to use it. So,
2: I used, um, I think, IntelliJ IDEA. Yes. Oh, yeah, yep. when I was learning.
1: That's that's the best one. That's the one you should use. All right, cool. So um
0: obviously you go over like how to install the JDK and uh the ID and stuff on the code operative channel, right? Yeah. So once you get started with like you're you're all set up, you're installed, uh you have your IDE running, like what would be the first thing that you would try and build or where where would the beginner like be you know what would be a good jumping off point, I guess, a starter project?
1: Uh, a good starter project is always some console input and file manipulation stuff. I mean, that's that's like basic stuff. You don't need anything outside of Java to be able to do it. Um, and you're manipulating strings, able to be able to write for loops and if statements and play with the different variable types. And once you're comfortable with that... Um, move on to something a little bit more complex.
0: Okay. Um personally like I have a an interest in desktop applications. I guess it's like my my personal everest because I never actually got to build one in college. <laughs> um can you maybe talk about the uh the GUI um API in Java? Like I guess uh Swing and JavaFX and what those are.
1: Yeah, so Swing is kind of the original implementation of the Java GUI. Uh, Basically, there's just like a collection of components and you have to create these uh, nested architectures to put all the components on the screen. It's it's all programmatic. It's not very visually helpful when you're trying to develop a, a GUI. You have to be like, hey, create a pane in here. Oh, and then inside of this pane, create, uh, a layout. And inside of that layout, create a text box and then set the text box text to this. So it's like, it's very nested. Hmm. Uh, so JavaFX has this XML based, uh, GUI controls right so you can drag different components onto the xml and then um, set their positioning and set what methods like each each component is connected to when you do like a selection or button click or something and that's all described in this xml file and then you have a keep that separate from your, your Java application where you can write all of the code that makes that GUI work. And in the programming language you can also create like diamond dynamically create components and, and position them and all that stuff. So it's a little bit more advanced, a little bit easier to use. Uh, so if you were going to create a desktop application in Java, I would definitely recommend JavaFX over Swing is
0: cool. is one of the other like more supported or more uh used in the actual job market or
1: uh so Swing is like the original um and JavaFX came a bit after that it's they're both still maintained um so it's kind of up to you which one you want to use but from the two jobs that I've run into that actually do uh, desktop Java applications. They've both used Java So in my limited anecdotal experience, Java effects uh, probably be better in the job market than swing. Yeah. And
2: that okay. 45 hour course I was talking about, um, they go into Java as well. Okay. So. Cool.
0: Um, so I know that you said uh, that desktop applications maybe aren't, like, the best thing to invest your time in just because everything's moving towards the web, and I, I think that's, you know, absolutely true, um, but if I was going to build a desktop application, like, what would I make, like, a, a calculator? Would that be a good thing to build, or what, what do you think um, would be a good starter project, like, for that aspect?
1: I mean, a calculator is always a good starter project just because you get to you get to conquer windows and say, Hey, I made a calculator and it can do stuff that yours can, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but, and you know, you don't have to invest too much time into getting it working. So yeah, that's definitely a a good starter project. Um, Or you could do some, some kind of project that takes in a file and, uh you know maybe you could do like a little text editor where you open open a file and then you're able to style it and save it that's also that's also a good starter project
2: that's cool i might do that
0: (laughs) eddie's in yeah (laughs) he's sold (laughs) yeah i've just always kind of been interested in like um Making uh, like a, a desktop application and actually creating an EXE file that can actually run the thing, and not having to jump into the command line and saying like, uh, you know, run uh, like Java blah 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 dot .jar or something, and having hmm. to fire it up that way. So, um, I mean,
1: so you can you can make exec- executable jars, right? They won't they won't be EXEs, but you can just double click them and they'll run.
0: Okay. So. Uh, do you already have to have like java installed to to do that or does it kind of pack yeah. everything together
1: you need you need the java runtime environment uh which you would need on any system to be able to run java um but that's kind of that was the original selling point of java at right? the jvm any system can run the jvm and then any java application can run on the jvm so
0: yeah, that's kind of like um, the the reason that web stuff has kind of taken off, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. already has a browser installed, so why not just you know make a web application? Right. Uh, I do remember that from uh, from way back when I actually took uh, some Java courses, talking about the Java Virtual Machine and um, it's like write once, run anywhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Is, is that still true, or does that kind of not <clears> matter <throat> anymore with Java?
1: Um. So it is still right once, run anywhere that the Java runtime environment is installed. Uh, but like I said, I don't think that there's a ton of uh, desktop applications being developed. I mean, obviously there's still some because I'm using IntelliJ IDEA. That's, uh, that's a desktop application. I think it was developed in Kotlin, but... no, oh, oh, okay.
0: interesting. <laughs> so, um, for everybody that wants to get into Java development, obviously you have your own YouTube channel, you have a bunch of videos on it. Uh, what do you go over in, on the Code Operative channel?
1: Yeah, so the Code Operative channel um, is just getting off the ground, so a lot of the stuff is very beginner-focused. So how to set up your... IDE, how to install the JDK, uh, and, you know, building your first application, and then also refactoring that application to make it follow some kind of code best practices that I've picked up from reading various literature and working in different professional environments. Uh, And then there's also one spring video, but more to come on that. Um, it's just like setting up a basic spring project yeah,
0: cool so what other um what other stuff do you cover as far as like building on the channel?
1: So most of the stuff is focused on the channel towards building the hangman application. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that you need to know about in the Java API before you can actually. Make that app. For example, you need to know uh, different types of variables. The how strings can be manipulated. How to do console input. How to uh, do for loops to to search through. Um, And I also talk about the different types of uh programming paradigms like procedural object oriented functional s- saying what the the benefits and the cons of each are and and how they're supposed to work um together in a professional sense
0: okay mm-hmm. um so is the hangman application like a desktop app or
1: yep it is a desktop app.
0: Sweet. I'm in. I'm sold. <laughs> As a, I guess it's JavaFX,
1: Right. I mean, it's a console application. So, Oh, okay. It runs on your desktop in the console. Oh, okay.
0: So you don't actually get into the GUI stuff at all?
1: No, no. <laughs> uh, I could get into the GUI if that's something that um, people really want.
0: I mean, personally, I'm into it, but
1: <laughs> um,
0: so I think maybe we could talk a little bit about Java itself just briefly and how it's kind of different from, let's say JavaScript. Um, you kind of touched on um, uh, some programming conventions. Uh, I know that Java itself is statically typed, you know versus uh, JavaScript, which is um, I guess dynamic typing. So can you maybe talk about um the whole public static void main garbage a little bit? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Public static void main, yeah. Um so that's the mainstay of any application. That's the that's how the JVM knows where your program starts. Um <clears throat> yeah, so statically typed meaning you describe the type of any variable or method. Uh, You can't just say uh, let x equal to abc. You have to say uh, string x equals abc because you're explicitly describing every single variable with purpose, uh, which gets pretty verbose, but it doesn't leave much room for you to shoot yourself in the foot. So.
0: Yeah. So with JavaScript, you can just kind of, um, as long as you're using a, a letter of par, you can just assign it whatever you want, you know? Okay. Here you're going to be a number. And then, you know, a few lines later, you're going to be a string and JavaScript doesn't really care about that. But, um, with Java, like you would have to create a new variable and declare it as the new type. um, and it does have its benefits. I mean, it it, it sounds uh, like you're doing a lot of extra work, but can you maybe talk about how that's going to save you it, once you get into like, let's say, a giant application?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely helpful in a larger application um, because those type casting and uh, variable mismatch type of errors will be caught at compilation time so before you even start running the application uh, the compiler does a number of different checks through your code and will tell you hey, you know, you're an idiot (laughs) you forgot to (laughs) you forgot that uh, ABC is not a number so you need to fix that Um, there's there's other benefits to being statically typed um but a lot of a lot of it just comes down to saving yourself from yourself um because the more explicit you are the the more context clues the compiler is going to have to what you're trying to do and why you're doing it wrong right so uh javascript has this whole
0: typescript movement um that sort of enforces uh static types in the same sort of way um it doesn't actually compile it just has like a linter that runs over it and says like hey you're being dumb stop it yeah but uh i know that there's a lot of people that are like in love with typescript um i think they maybe had their start with something like java or c sharp where um they have static typing and they're they're just used to it Hmm. and they're used to the object-oriented um stuff so, um, when they get to JavaScript, everything's like wide open and they just kind of, I don't know if they feel like they need more security with it or it's, uh, maybe too much is left to the unknown or, or something like that. But, um, I see a lot of proponents of, of TypeScript out there.
2: I've come from like the other direction from JavaScript to TypeScript because I, what I do now is all in TypeScript and I've grown to really like it.
0: Yeah. I mean. I'm not a huge fan of it just because um, it's a lot of extra work, I feel. Yeah, it is. You've got to you know, type out everything. You've got to write a bunch of interfaces and just kind of um, cover all angles of, of what you're doing. But uh, what I really like about TypeScript is the linter and the IntelliSense that you get whenever you just say, like, all right, turn TypeScript on. Now it's going to tell you you know what your functions take and what they return. Uh, what variables are um, later on in your application like oh i forgot what this was what is it again and it, it will just tell you like oh hey this is a string oh okay great or if it's an object and it has an interface here's all the properties that you can expect on this object that you're working with mm-hmm. which is really great um if you're using like uh intellij or something like that does java have something similar to that
1: yeah yeah it has uh intellisense so Anytime time you create an object of a specific type, and then you're like, uh, I want to use some method. I don't really know what it is. You just type the dot to indicate that you're going to be using a, a method or instance variable, and then it'll pop up with a list of all the things. And then as you type that list gets filtered down. Um, and then when you select something, right, you can see all of the parameters that would go into that method. Uh, giving you some indication of what you need to pass into it. And it also tells you what uh, the return type is. And I find that's really good because it reduces like all of the things you need to keep in your head as you're programming. Like The less I have to think about while I'm programming, the better I usually do uh, <laughs> in developing, <laughs> if that makes sense. like. If you're if you have to think about fifty things to write, you know, this one method versus uh I only have to think about how to solve this problem and I vaguely know how to go about it and IntelliSense will just fill in all the gaps for me. Okay. Yeah,
0: that's uh that's great. Um I really, really love that stuff about TypeScript and I know that, you know, you kind of get that with VS Code, but it's good to hear that, especially with something as as large as Java, um, that it kind of will fill in the blanks for you and kind of let you know what you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so we talked about a lot of desktop and a lot of server um, programs, but uh, can you maybe talk about what the workflow is like for Android development? Um, do you have to download like Android Studio or can you use IntelliJ or? Uh, how do you make like the GUI and that? How does so, that work?
1: So Android Studio is uh, kind of a derivative of IntelliJ's idea. Um, it was made by or IntelliJ idea. It was, it was made by the same company. Uh, JetBrains, commissioned by Google to make it. Um, but yeah, you need the you need you don't specifically need Android Studio, but You probably should have it because it has like a visual editor that'll help you a lot when developing the screens, which are also XML based in Android. Um, And then also you need the Java SDK. Um, Android's a little behind on their SDK versions. I think Android is only up to uh, Java 7 just because it's using Google's implementation of it, and they're using a different virtual machine. Theirs is called the Dalvik Virtual Machine DVM. Um, it's more stripped down, optimized for mobile development. Uh, so, yeah, you need Android Studio, and you need the Android Development Kit. Um, and then when you're on there you need to download a specific android api they're, they've they gone through a ton of versions um what are they on now like oreo or pi i think they're on i pi. Think i've fun. lost track <laughs> <laughs> so once you have all that stuff downloaded then you can uh make a basic application. You can use the built-in emulator, which is a lot better than it used to be. used to be it took like 15 minutes just to start it up and then load an application into it, but now it's uh, significantly less.
0: Okay, awesome. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned Android Development Kit. Maybe we should kind of throw out there that whenever we're saying JDK, that's Java Development Kit, correct? Yeah. And then um, for any... (laughs) For anybody out there that doesn't know what we're talking about when we say GUI, uh, <laughs> that's that's GUI, Graphical User Interface. Um, so, sorry if we left anybody in the dust for the past half hour <laughs> when we're talking about GUIs. <laughs> um, so, um, I know XML is kind of a older technology, and it sounds like you get into a lot of XML-based uh, UI development um, when you're working with Java. Uh, how how tough is it to use XML? I know it's like tag based, kind of like HTML.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to HTML. So if you can learn HTML, XML uh, is a fast follow. It's it's another markup language. So um, and all if you're using Android Studio, like and you create a new project, uh, it auto generates like a layout for you and if you look at it it's pretty pretty straightforward so you can look at it from the the visual side right and click on the elements and you can see what they're called and what their different properties are using the uh Android Studio UI and then you can flip over to the XML side and then you can see that described in XML so you don't necessarily have to work in the XML editor to do Android uh, development, developing, making those screens. Um, but having that understanding uh, can be helpful, especially when it's not exactly clear how to uh, proceed forward using the GUI. Switching over to the XML may give you some more clarity.
0: Okay, so there's like a GUI where you can like drag-and-drop elements on your app? Yep, exactly. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of cool. I was going to ask, um, I know HTML has like obviously CSS for positioning and layout and that sort of thing. I was wondering how XML handles that. Is there some kind of... So uh, the
1: positioning and handling in uh, an- the Android's XML GUI is based mostly on attributes. So every XML tag would have different attributes, uh, like the the layout height and layout width, um, and there's different properties you can set. Most of them are slipping my mind right now, but you can set it to be like the size of the parent, or you can set it to just wrap the content that's inside of it. So it'll adjust dynamically. Is Um, that
0: stuff that you're writing like inline in the XML?
1: Right. Yes. So, for each XML tag, you would add attributes onto it that have those, uh, you know, numbers of positioning. If you want to set it at like a specific pixel height or pixel, uh, like pixel X Y. Um, but there's a there's another way to do it, right? So there's like a styling component. So you can create a style for a specific type of component and then just apply it to multiple components.
0: Okay, awesome. So I think uh, I've covered all of my Java questions. Um, what about you, Eddie?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think he's covered most of what I asked, uh, most of what I was thinking about. Um, but yeah, do, do you want to go into Nerd a minute?
0: Yeah, first I just want to like plug um, the code operative oh, okay. one more time. Uh, if anybody out there is interested in Java development or getting started with that, um, head on over to YouTube. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, that you can check out uh, Michael's YouTube channel and he'll teach you how to get, you know, up and running, uh, get your IDE installed, get the JDK installed, um, start building your first command line app and then up through into Spring, right? Yep. Awesome. So yeah, Michael, at the end of the show we always do like a little segment that we call Nerd Minute where we just kinda talk about whatever nerdy stuff that we're into. Um what are you into lately?
1: Uh what am I into lately? Watch any well, new animes. <laughs> yeah, do
0: you watch anime? I know you're a big uh board game fan also. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I love anime. Uh recently I've been watching uh Shield Hero and uh Wiseman's grandchild i think um it's new this new this season and oh and of course one punch man oh yeah the (laughs) second season's out right yeah
0: Yeah. been waiting forever so uh, did you guys lose your minds when the uh, french open came out and you missed an episode (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was like what the (laughs) (laughs) i was like that's kind of a dumb reason to skip a week but okay (laughs) Uh, i guess it airs on prime time over there or something
1: oh yeah
0: that makes sense um yeah I'm a I'm a huge One Punch Man fan. Yeah me too. Uh if anybody out there is unfamiliar One Punch Man is a uh, originally a manga uh recently has become an anime but the whole crux of it is that uh it's a superhero um trope uh, anime but One Punch Man decides that he's going to become a hero. He does uh, some stupid training where he does a lot of pushups or something <laughs> and then he accidentally <laughs> becomes too strong and now he can defeat anybody with one punch so the whole show is kind of like centered around how everybody responds to that and it's it's absolutely hilarious uh i love it yeah it's great
1: it's a it's a parody it's very meta anime makes fun of all of the all of the uh typical like naruto bleach and hero academia all that stuff yeah
0: Yeah, it kind of rips on uh shonen tropes i would say um, yeah, I've also been into, uh, Rising of the Shield Hero. Um, that, that's just been a really good, uh, kind of character development show. Uh, really, really stupid anime tropes. <laughs> <laughs> like, people get sucked into a, um... What's this about? Like a fantasy, fantasy world. Okay. Um, and then it's like four heroes that come from different versions of Earth or something, and they, uh, different parallel universes, come into this other universe where they're like fantasy heroes. So one guy's got like a sword, one guy's got a spear, Mm -hmm. one guy has a bow and the shield hero just has a shield. And, um, he's like really naive in the, in the beginning. And then as the, you know, like by the second episode, he gets, uh, betrayed by one of the, uh, characters in this new world. And she like accuses him of assaulting her and stuff. And turns out she's like the princess and the king like banishes him and it's just kind of his um it the whole narrative gets turned on its head where you think it's going to be this dumb fantasy anime that's like also sci-fi because they have like a heads-up display on their vision which is really weird okay um like they look at their fantasy i mean it's it's really dumb anime stuff um where you can look at your sword or whatever and you see like like a video game stats and stuff Yeah, stats and skills and what kind of, like, um, attributes and stuff and crafting and all this. It's basically like an MMO to them from, like, their point of view, but um, they're actually living it. Okay. And the interesting part is, like I said before, where the shield hero kind of gets, like, this character assassination done to him, and basically everybody hates him and it it kind of follows how he picks himself up from that, which I thought was really well done, yeah,
2: okay, I might yeah. look into that
0: also the uh the theme song for the the most recent episodes is very very catchy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so what's your uh going back to board games? What's your favorite board game?
1: well, uh right now, I'm playing this game called. Charterstone. Uh, it's a, a legacy game. So if you don't know a legacy game, it's a game that changes like every time you play it, but you can only play it a certain number of times. Um, so like the rules change, the cards that you can use change, and it's all as a result of the decisions that you make during the game. Um, so Charterstone is your typical worker placement game you you have a certain number of workers and each round you place them somewhere so that they can do some action and you can gain some sort of resource Uh, Charterstone is set in like this uh, little kingdom it has a very similar vibe to I don't know if you've ever played Overcooked
2: I've not the video game?
1: Yeah, the oh, video okay. game. Overcooked. Yeah, the game's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's got those like cheesy theme, cheesy like art style where everybody's just kind of like big head, little bodies. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but basically, you're colonists for this new kingdom, and you're trying to build out this little charter, uh, and. You're just trying to build it out. So every every game, like you make different decisions on what buildings you're going to build, and those buildings stay there permanently. And that's like another place you can put your workers to gain resources. And as you progress through the game, different events happen uh, after reaching certain milestones. So you know you could have like a, a raiders come through or something. Okay. That's
0: do you put like stickers on the board and stuff that you know kind of changes the uh changes the map I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah. So every time you build a building, you would put a sticker of that building down on the on the board and there's only so many uh spaces for you to place buildings. Mm-hmm. that's
0: awesome. Um where do you go to to play that? Do you have like friends over or you go to a uh, like a game shop or something?
1: Uh yeah, so I play um at my house or uh, a friend's house, uh, I've also recently played a game that I really like and I want to get called Corporate America. Um. <laughs> I feel like I live that game, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this game, you have the money, right? You're not the the minion of the money, so uh, you're. I I go to a a friend's house. This guy has, like, three bookshelves just filled with games. So he always has the the coolest games. Um, But we played Corporate America, which is basically, like, you're a corporation. And uh, each round, one of these corporations is president of the United States. And they become president by, like, everybody votes with their money. (laughs) <laughs> 'cause corporations are people okay uh and they <laughs> and they vote with their money um so whoever has the most money donated to their campaign becomes president, so once you're president, then you can uh make decisions regarding like the uh the laws, and yeah there's a bunch of different stuff like there's there's uh voter protests that you have to satisfy as president, and the goal is to get a bunch of money. So you buy businesses, that are completely ridiculous, uh, ridiculously named. I think one was a, I got like a waste company, and uh, it was like, uh, New Poo, cause it, it was like... <laughs> turning plutonium into <laughs> waste i don't know it's just like jeez, <laughs> ridiculously named c- companies but yeah it's a lot of fun
0: do you ever do uh dungeons and dragons or anything
1: yeah so um i've been running a D campaign at work so after work once a week uh we play D. uh idm and then there's a bunch of other people that play in it but um we've kind of been on hiatus recently just because work's been uh really intense so
0: okay awesome um eddie got anything that you've been into recently
2: no not really just watching like trailers for because e3 is this weekend oh okay Uh, and i saw the trailer for the new um the jedi game that's coming out and okay the fighting system looks seems pretty cool
0: i haven't Um, checked it out yet
2: yeah i think it's jedi the new order or something like that fallen Fallen order Order yeah maybe yeah i forget (laughs) but i was like half asleep when i watched it last night but um it seems
0: pretty cool that's
2: about all i
0: got awesome um what about you lee uh i've been watching the kung fu movies that um scotts and i uh, recommended oh, okay. so uh five venoms and 36 chamber of shaolin yeah um they were good i really liked them uh and then i started <laughs> for whatever reason uh was in the mood to start watching uh some tarantino so i, I turned on uh hateful eight and was kind of checking that out okay um have avoided it but uh, it's been really good so far i'm only like halfway into it oh I'm doing the um the extended edition or uncut or something. Oh, there's an extended It's like episodic Ow. on Netflix. Really? So yeah. I I avoided the movie when it came out in theaters and was just like, well, I don't you know, nobody wants to see that or whatever. It's so my my <laughs> family's not into Tarantino kind of stuff. It's not really the a date movie, I guess. But um No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, so so um I've been watching it uh on my own That's... just kind of before I go to bed.
1: That's the one that's, that takes place like entirely in this random cabin, Yeah, right?
0: Yeah, it's like a shack yeah. in Wyoming or something. Yeah, yeah. it's like in, in, in the middle of a, a blizzard, blizzard and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'll let you know how it shakes out when I finish it, but uh, so far it's been interesting. I thought it was good. You like yeah. it? I like
2: a lot of his okay. stuff, though. So
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm also a fan. But uh I know that Tarantino is like a huge kung fu movie fan. Yeah. Um obviously for making like, you know, he wouldn't have made Kill Bill otherwise. So uh I just kind of wanted to check out his stuff um for after uh watching some of the kung fu movies. So cool. All right, cool. Um so I guess we'll wrap it there. Uh thank you so so much yeah. uh Michael for coming Thanks, on the Michael.
1: show. Thanks for having me.
0: You can check out Michael's YouTube channel, uh, The Code Operative, and we'll link in the show notes.
1: Thanks Thanks. for that.
0: (laughs) 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 Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Tech Junior. For previous episodes, check out the website, techjr.dev. Or like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and any other kind of cast that you can think of. You can also find us on Twitter at TechJRPodcast. Uh, you can follow me at Junior and Eddie at ED0TER0. If you want to support the show, jump on iTunes and write us a, a review with some kind words. Uh, Subscribe, follow us on every different platform that you can think of, shoot us a tweet, and just tell your friends. Alright folks, I'll let you get back to it. Uh, Join us next week on Wednesday for an awesome interview with Vincent Tang, covering getting hired and the application process. Alright, see ya.